Isn't it true that there's nothing more frustrating than when you're driving down the road and you're trying to get somewhere and you see one of these guys in the road and they do this to you? I mean, it's just every single time. And maybe it's because I don't need, need leave enough margin in my, in my tr- trip or whatever for perhaps for some mess ups or whatever. And I, I just see this guy and I know, oh no. And my first thought is, how long is he going to keep me, you know, with this side before he flips it over and it says, you know, go slow or something like that. And it's just, I just, I don't have a go slow side. I just have a stop sign. Uh, but I just, it's just, oh, it's so frustrating because you're trying to get somewhere and this guy is hindering you from getting to the place that you wanted to go. Ever happened to you? It happens to all of us, right? Uh, I remember last year I was trying to get my son to a basketball game. I think it was in Plainfield somewhere. And we could, we were almost there. You know, it's like an hour drive or 45 minute drive and we could see the school like we can taste it we're like we don't have a lot of time right so we're we're going we're going and we're we're almost there and all of a sudden the the arms of the train you know the train track come down it's like oh no you know this was no small train this was a this was one of those mega trains that was going really slow right you know and they go slow because they've got like a thousand cars on them right and so we start counting and we're like how many cars do you think are on this thing there's no more than 20 cars it can't pull more than 20 cars 55 cars later the things finally go up and we're able to oh my goodness man that was a rough day we get hindered sometimes don't we the title of this series is called hindrance and I want to set it up by giving you some big ideas that have really changed my life and I'm going to go all the way back to the time when I became a Christ follower shortly after I became a Christ follower when I was in high school I lived apart from God I my mom was 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 kind enough and faithful enough to teach me about Jesus, but I rejected it and wanted nothing to do with it. Until I was a senior, my end of my senior year, I put my faith in Christ, and it, it was a radical shift in my life. And so when I went to college, I was a brand new Christ follower trying to figure out, you know, how to walk with Jesus and what this whole new, you know, Christianity thing was in my life. And I remember being at Liberty, uh, knowing that I had asked Christ to be my Savior, knowing that if I died, I was going to go to heaven. I was cool with all that stuff, but really just didn't understand quite how God worked in a person's life. My, my idea was that, okay, God's probably off in the distance somewhere on his throne, somewhere in heaven beyond the stars, and he really doesn't really know what's going on in my life, nor does he care about me. And so I didn't think that God was really at work in my everyday life. I just kind of felt like it was a distant thing. You ever feel that way? Like is God even paying attention to me, one of seven billion people on the planet? Is that even possible? Does he even care? You ever feel that way? Or is that just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. And so uh, that was my understanding. And then, and then when, I, uh, when I started going to Liberty, I started to learn. I came across this Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Anybody remember it? And uh, I think my mom gave it to me or something like that. And so I, I started to learn some big ideas that transformed my whole relationship, my whole approach to faith. And I want to share a couple of those ideas with you. The first one is this, that God is always at work, that God is always doing things. 24-7, God never takes a break. He's always doing things. And I learned this from the study. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 6 was being questioned, John chapter 5, sorry. He was being questioned uh, of, about why he was working on the Sabbath. That was against the law. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus was healing people and doing things on the, on the day where you're not supposed to work. And so his, his critics were getting on him. And this is what Jesus responded and said in John chapter 5. My father is always working and so am I. We don't take breaks on the Sabbath. 
We, we don't, if there's somebody that can be healed on the Sabbath, we're not going to say, oh, it's the Sabbath, I'm not going to work. No, we're always blessing people. We're always doing things. And this got my brain going in terms of, of God's activity, in, in, not only in my life, but in the world, that he is actively engaged every single day doing things on this earth. And so I was like, wow. And so I start to look for it, like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Why? And then the second big idea, that's the first one, the second big idea that really transformed my life is this, that God invites us to partner with him. And it just blew me away that little old me can be caught up in what God is doing in this world. It just totally transformed my life. Remember, because I was thinking God's off in some distant outer space throne beyond the stars and, and you know, not really involved. But, but now I'm coming to learn that, wait a second, he's always at work. And then he calls me into joining him, calls you into joining him and partnering him with him to do his work. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, or his masterpiece, each one of us, created in Christ Jesus, say it with me, for what? Good works, for, for, pla- for plans, things that he wants to do with you. He says, which, God's, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the purpose of your life, to discover what those good works are and then partner with him and to do those good works. I love what Paul said to a guy named Timothy and Titus, I'm sorry, a guy named Titus in the book of Titus chapter three. Let our people learn to devote themselves not to the football team of their city like the Colts, I'm not down on being a Colts fan. It's not, it's not wrong or sinful to be a Colts fan. But that's not where to devote ourselves to. Not to making a lot of money in, in the stock market or collecting a lot of nice things like cars or houses. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. But, but Paul says teach our people to devote their lives to what? Good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be, say it with me, unfruitful. Another version would say unproductive. God does not want you to live an unproductive, unfruitful life. And the way that we avoid living an unproductive, unfruitful life is by figuring out what those good works are that he's created me to do and you to do and then partnering with him to perform those things. It changed my life. Learned all that from the Experiencing God study. It opened up my eyes to, see, to start asking questions like, okay, God, what do you want to do with my life? You know, when you're in college, you're a little bit idealistic. If you've been to college, you kind of think you can change the world. I did. <laughs> I thought in college, well, if that's true, and God was always working, and he wants little old me to join him, well, we're just going to change the world. <laughs> you know? And then I got my first job selling books door to door out of college. Uh, but now I'm a pastor, so I get to do that. So, you, so it's, it's this idea that, that God is doing work and he invites you to partner with him because he wants you to produce fruit in this world. And don't we need it? Doesn't our world need some good stuff going on? So here, here's another idea I want to kind of rest this series on. It's in your notes there. The work that God wants to do is both in us and he wants to do work through us. There are things that God wants to do in us, in our character, and there are things that God wants to do through us. The most important thing that God gets out of our lives is who we become. So there's things that he wants to do in us. He wants to change the type of people that we are, and then he wants to use our hands and our feet and our resources to bless other people. Now here's the deal, and here's where this whole series kinda makes sense. When it comes to making that type of difference or or that work that God wants to do, we can either be helpful or we can be a hindrance. We can either work with God and uh, with a green light or we can have a stop sign and say, no, it's not going to work. 
We can either work with him or we can work against him. I remember uh, a couple of months ago or a month ago or so when I was just kind of asking God, hey, what do you want me to share? I, need a, I was trying to think about a series to do and, and, and I was just you know, praying and reading the Bible and I was in Matthew chapter 16 and, and I came across this passage where Jesus was talking with Peter and, and Jesus would from time to time before he went to the cross, he would tell his disciples that here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed and rejected and I'm going to be nailed to a cross and beaten and then three days later I'm going to rise again and, and that's, what I, that's the work I'm going to do. And his disciples wouldn't get it, you know, just go over their heads. Well, this one time he's telling Peter, here's the deal. I'm going to the cross, and three days later I'm going to rise again. I want you to see what Peter says back to Jesus after Jesus tells him what's going to happen. Peter took, Jesus, this is, this is funny. Peter puts his arm around Jesus. You could almost picture it. He puts his, after Jesus is done, you know, tells him what he's gonna, what's going to happen, puts his arm around Jesus, takes him aside, takes him for a little walk. He, can you imagine can you imagine the setup, you know what, that Peter must have had to, to, to put your arm around the Son of God, the creator of the universe. Come, come over here real quick. Come, come into my office. Have a seat. He takes him aside and he begins, I mean, can you imagine this? The goal of this guy. He rebukes Jesus. He says to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this, at least he said Lord, you know what I'm saying? Maybe at least he didn't say bud or hey buddy or something like that, right? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Whoa. He says, Jesus, everything you just said is crazy. Cross, crucifixion, beaten, rising again, dead. That's never going to happen. Listen to what Jesus says in response to what Peter said. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, when you think about it, who would have loved to stop Jesus from going to the cross? You can talk to me. Yeah. He would have loved it. And Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to put you in the same category as the enemy who would love to stop me from redeeming mankind from their sin, providing an opportunity for mankind to be reconciled to my Father. I'm gonna put you in that same category because Peter, here's the deal. Here's what's really going on. You are hindering me from the work I am called to do. And I'm sitting there reading this. I'm just, and I'm going, oh my gosh, it's hitting me. Because in my life, I have the opportunity to either, to either help God perform his work through me, or I can hinder God from doing his work. And as a preacher, you gotta, you gotta eat this stuff first before you can preach it. Like, you gotta smoke what you're selling. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Like, so I'm sitting there going, is that me, Lord? Like, like is this, am I, am I a hindrance? Or am I helping you with the work you're trying to do? So I had to deal with that, wrestle with that in my, in my heart, in my mind. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be the guy that says, Danny, when, when I get to heaven, say, Danny, here's what I could have done, but because of your, you know, stupidity or whatever, you know, you hindered me from doing the work that I wanted to do through Emmanuel in, in, in this country and, and all over the world. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that, set, that, that, that just works with God and allows the work to be done, to be a vessel and to be a help. 
Why was Peter a hindrance? Listen to what Jesus says. You are not setting your, say with me, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, the reason that Peter was a hindrance to Jesus is because of how he was looking at this situation, how he was thinking about the situation. He was thinking that Jesus was going to deliver them from the Romans. He was thinking that Jesus was going to set them free from the captivity of their, their bonds, you know, the, the people who were over them and the, the rule of the Roman Empire. He was thinking that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right now in that, in that era right there. And his mind set was off. His thoughts were off. He wasn't thinking like Jesus. And so he became a hindrance to Jesus. What does the word hindrance mean? Watch this. It's the act of making it difficult for someone to act in order to get something done. What was Jesus trying to get done? Oh, I don't know, the redemption of mankind. <laughs> small little thing. <laughs> you know, reconciliation between all human race and, and the Father. It's just a small event in history. You know, the cross. And Peter was hindering that act. You ever have somebody hinder you? Maybe a coworker, because <laughs> they got their music too loud. Maybe a neighbor, because their dog or something like that, and they hinder you from taking a nap. <laughs> it's, just, it's just something that stops you. How do we hinder God from doing the work in us, the work that he wants to do in us and through us? Here's how we do it in your notes there. We hinder God in the same way Peter did with our perspective. Our perspective is off. We're not thinking the way God is thinking. We're not, our mind and our heart are not aligned with his mind and his heart, and therefore we're going in a different direction. See, here's how it works. The mind stirs up emotions, and the emotions stir up activity or actions. Well, if my mind is off, my emotions are going to be off, and my activity is going to be off. It's going to be going in the opposite direction of what God wants to do in my life or in the person or the people in my life that he wants me to touch. Does that make sense? So I have to get my mind aligned with the mind of God. And here's the beautiful truth, and this is where I have so much hope, and this, this, I hope this gives you hope. Watch this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We can have the mind of Christ. Did you know that you can set your mind up in alignment with the mind of Christ? You can think the thoughts of Jesus. Did you know that, yes or no? Well, if you didn't, I just told you. It's a beautiful thing. And so you ought to pray for that and say, Jesus, I want to think exactly like you would think in this situation with these set of circumstances, whether it's a, a financial situation, whether it's a work-related situation, whether it's a forgiveness situation, whether it's an issue with, with some type of business problem that you're having with a business partner or some type of relationship issue where somebody wants to pressure you to, to, to do things you don't want to do, maybe perhaps sexually, whatever situation it is, I want to get my mind, I want to think about this situation the way you are thinking about this situation. What would have happened if Peter would have had his mind totally aligned with Christ in, 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 in that whole scenario? Jesus would have said, man, you're, you're right with me. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Instead, you know, Peter struggled. He ended up denying Christ three times and had to go through that whole scenario because his mind was in a different spot. We Hinder the work of God, the, the work that God wants to do in us and through us by having our mind off, our perspective is off. But we can have the mind of Christ. Now, what I want to talk about for the rest of our time today is the work that God wants to do in us. And, and for the rest of the series, we're going to bounce back and forth and talk about the work that God wants to do, do through us as well. The primary work, in your notes, the primary work that God wants to do in us is that he wants you to measure up. God wants you to measure up. You ever heard it said, you've probably said it yourself, you know, he doesn't measure up or she doesn't measure up to her sister or 
you know, this employee doesn't measure up to the last employee or that CEO doesn't measure up to the last CEO. We usually use it in a negative term. We, you know, she doesn't measure up, measure up, he doesn't measure up. God actually uses it in a positive sense. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors. You know your, your pastor is a gift to you? That's what it says right there. I hope you like the gift. <laughs> so uh, all these people, they're, 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 uh, they're gifts to the church, right? For what purpose? What purpose are the pastors and what do, what do they do? Well, their responsibility is to equip God's people, watch this, to do his work. Remember we talked about God is always working and he wants to partner with all of you to do his work. So it's my job to kind of equip you to do the work of the ministry and to build up the church and the body of the Christ. Well, what, is that, what does that work really look like? Watch this. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, say it with me, mature in the Lord, that we will be fully grown. And then he explains a little bit more what that means. Look at the next phrase. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is the primary work that God wants to do in my life and in your life. He wants you to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. What does that mean? Well, if Jesus Christ was filled with agape love, I mean, he loved the unlovable. He loved those who didn't deserve love, right? He showed mercy who did, to, to people who didn't deserve mercy, right? He gave out grace to people who didn't deserve grace, right? He was filled with overwhelming uh, uh, levels of peace and joy. Do you agree with me? As, as you read the New Testament, you see him living, you see him moving, you see him doing, you see him loving. Like he, he, was, filled with, with, he, he was filled with all of the fruits of the Spirit, and so that's the standard of Christ, right? And so guess what God's plan is? Is to get you to measure up to the standard and the, the, the full and complete standard of Christ. He wants you to become just like Christ. That's the primary work that God wants to do in me and the primary work that God wants to do in you. See, the, the greatest thing that God gets out of your life is the person that you become. He's turning you into a little Jesus, a little female Jesus, a little male Jesus, a little teenage Jesus, a little middle school Jesus, a little senior citizen Jesus. <laughs> All of us, little, that's, that's the work, that's it. Like Christianity offers nothing else. Like Christianity is not a, uh, it's not a system to, to, to solve the orphan problem in the world, although we help. Christianity is not a system to get, you know, uh, uh, to create a great nation, a great Christian nation, although it can help do that. Christianity is not a system to solve hunger in the world, although it can help to do that. Christianity is a system to create little Jesuses. That's what it is. That's the whole, that's the work that God wants to do in your life. Now, how does he do that? Well, if you heard two weeks ago before Matt gave his talk on fighting for marriage, wasn't that a good talk? Yeah, love that. That was awesome. Anyway, some of you missed that. That's all right. So, so, but if you're here two weeks ago, I talked about a training program to disrupt those automatic patterns of response that have developed in you from years separated from God of walking without Jesus, right? And so I'm talking about things like, you know, what you do automatically when you're under a stressful situation, whether it's anger or, or you know, you freak out or you have a panic attack or something like that, or, or whether it's with temptation and you automatically give in to, to drink or, or, or whatever, the temp, whatever your temptation is, right? You have to disrupt those automatic patterns of response with a very specific training plan that includes silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and meditation. And again, I can't preach a whole talk on that because I just did two weeks ago. But that's part of how he transforms you. Now, another way that he transforms you, and I don't like this way, but this is just the way God works, is in your notes. Watch this. God transforms us through difficulty. 
He transforms us through difficulty. Boy, I don't like this. He transforms us through trials. He transforms us through pain. He transforms us through hardship. You say, how do I know that? How do you know that to be true? Well, it tells us in James chapter one, watch this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, trials, tribulations come your way, notice he doesn't say if, (laughs) maybe, he says no, when they happen, because they will happen, consider it an opportunity for not just any kind of joy, but great joy. Difficulty is an opportunity for great joy. Now that sounds kind of dark and twisted, don't you think? You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I'll pray, you know what I want Jesus today? Loads of trouble, bring it. Bring trials, tribulations, I want all kinds from different angles. No, we don't pray that way. James is saying, maybe don't pray that way, but when they do happen, it is an opportunity for great joy. Well, how can that be? Listen to what he says next, here's why. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Well, what is endurance? Endurance is this rare ability to keep on going when things are really difficult and hard. Is life hard, yes or no? Yeah, some of you are disappointed with life right now. You wish you had a different life right now. You wish you had a different set of kids right now, a different spouse right now, a different job right now. You're dis- life is hard, right? And by the way, even if you didn't have a different set of kids and a different wife, it'd still be hard. Amen? Any- amen? Some of you are on your second or third spouse and you're like, it's still hard. <laughs> okay. So switching things up, that's not the answer, right? So you let your endurance grow. See, di- see difficulty, trial is an opportunity for that, this, in, this thing called endurance, this muscle of endurance to get stronger and stronger and stronger in your life. Why? Watch this. For when your endurance is fully developed all the way, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You will measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You know what these words mean? Perfect. Perfect carries the idea of a, of a baby who's been in, the, in mama's belly for nine months and, 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 and he's ready to come out. She's ready to come out, right? The bun is cooked. It, it's, you gotta open up the oven because if it stays in there, what happens? Some of you know, if the baby stays in there too long, it's not good, it's not healthy. The baby could die, right? You gotta get that thing out because it is ready to go. That's what this word means. You know, the, the, the casserole is fully cooked. Take it out of the oven and let's eat. That's the idea. That's the idea. It doesn't need to be in there anymore, right? Guess what? Trials get us to this situation right here. Difficulties build our endurance in such a way till we are, so that we are ready to go. This word here, complete, same idea, a little bit different. It, it kind of carries the idea of a, a brand new car that rolls off the lot. And, and it's, it doesn't need a tune-up. It doesn't need a tire rotation. It doesn't need a wheel alignment. It doesn't need an oil change. It doesn't need the fluids filled up. It doesn't need, it doesn't need, it doesn't need. It is perfect. It is ready to go. And for a long time, you could drive it without any maintenance. That's what this word means right here. Totally complete. Needing nothing. That's what God wants to do in your life. Well, how does he do it? He does it through difficulty. He does it through trials. There's some things we just can't learn without pain. I hate to say that. I wish it wasn't the case. In fact, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, why? Why couldn't you do it another way? Why couldn't there be something that we eat or a pill that we take and all of a sudden we're mature? <laughs> like, why did you have to use trials and difficulty to mature us? You know, maybe we can ask him when we get there. But for now, what we know is that this is just the way he transforms us. It's just the way he works. And it kind of makes sense. Because I have three children, and, and many of you have children, and many of you have grandchildren. Now I have a high school student, which is crazy. 
And I know that one of, the way, one of the best ways to mature them or grow them is to let them fail. Now, this is a new idea for some of you parents, I'm not, I'm not, especially the younger parents, the millennial parents. Um, some parents feel like, or, the, or some parents take, the, take the, idea, the, the perspective of, we can't let our children struggle at all. And so we save them and we rescue them at every turn so that their life is not difficult. And when parents do that, hear me, you cripple your children. You cripple them. And you send them into the world unprepared because life is hard. Life is difficult and they have to learn along the way at an appropriate pace. They have to learn that life is difficult and it's a struggle. So a good parent, a great parent, is one who, who lets their child struggle at appropriate levels or at an appropriate pace so they don't get overwhelmed but they still have to fight so that they're growing in their maturity so that by the time they're 18, they're ready to spread their wings and fly. That's what good parents do. Bad parents enable and save their children from all kinds of pain because they don't want their children to suffer. You are crippling your children. Listen, I've said this before and I'll continue to say this. Your children ought to have a very healthy level of dislike for you. A very healthy level. If you are their best friend, watch out. I'm telling you what, you heard it from this platform, you are in for some serious pain if you are your kid's buddy, okay? If you're your, they're your best friend, they, have a, they ought to have a healthy dislike for you because you are allowing them to struggle and fail and fall. What does this do? It allows, it gives them a chance to grow and mature in their life and you're setting them up for success. Does that make sense? Now, this isn't a parenting talk. That was just free right there. <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. But it explains why God does it to us. It explains why he does. It explains why he allows us to struggle because it gives us a chance to grow and trust and put our faith in him and say, okay, God, I'm in this situation. I trust you. I believe you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow in endurance, the ability to keep on going even when it's hard. Now, because of all that, it ought to be an opportunity for great joy. But we struggle with that, don't we? Isn't it the case that in most situations, in most scenarios, when difficulty or trouble comes into our life, we moan and groan? Anybody else? I mean, I'm preaching this stuff, and I moan and groan all the time. Sad. My friends ask me, how's it going? Oh, well, this is going on. This is going on. You know, we just moved, out. We just moved from one house to another, and so that whole scenario is just a disaster. It almost seems like every possible thing that could go wrong went wrong. Has anybody ever moved before when you've got kids and you've accumulated all this crap? It's <laughs> what it is. You know how many times I've been to Goodwill? My goodness, get rid of this stuff. This one scenario situation, they were saying, hey, we've we got to get this couch in the basement. It, it, we can't, we can't, it doesn't fit. And the, and the stairs kind of do this number. They do a right angle. And the couch is too big. It's a sectional. And so... My wife calls me. This is just like one of like, I don't know, 10 issues that were happening all at the same time, it seems. See, I'm complaining right now. This is good. This is really good. This is healthy. You need to see this. I suck at this sometimes. I really do. So she calls me and she says they can't get the couch downstairs. You know, they got to they gotta force it down. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. What is it? Well, they're going to have to put three or four holes in the sheetrock. Okay, so I give the go, and they man, sure enough, they shove this thing downstairs, break up the sheetrock, and there's holes. I get home, there's holes in the wall. You know, I, I could go on. You want to hear more of my moaning and groaning? I mean, it's just one thing after another. The pool is, I got issues. I mean, we got a pool now. It's got issues. It's, anyway, okay, but I see the point is, is if I asked you about how your life was going, you could go on a 10-minute thing too. Oh, 
Yeah? And I know some issues are bigger, and I'm complaining about small issues. Listen, sheetrock, I had a friend come over. He patched it up, no problem. If these are small issues. I know, I know some of us have big issues. I know some of you have friends who have cancer. I, know, I understand. I do. I have friends who have lost loved ones, car accidents, a suicide. I understand. There's, I'm not trying to make light of troubles or hardship or difficulty. There are some big things going on in your life. The challenge is to say, okay, How can I align my mindset so I don't go into a funk or a depression or discouragement for months? How do I I see this properly so that I don't hinder the work that God wants to do in me? I gotta align my mind with God's mind. And that's all I'm trying to do today is to get your mind aligned with God's mind when it comes to difficulty and trials. So that rather than it being a source of pain, of discouragement, it'll be a source or an opportunity for great joy because you know that God is building endurance in you. Yes? See, we hinder the work of God when our, when our perspective is off. Let me, let me close with this thought. If we continue to have a perspective that is off, the difficulty will be wasted. When our perspective is off, the difficulty will be wasted. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by this, and we'll wrap this up. If you continue to moan and groan and complain about the problems and difficulty, just like I did for three minutes just there, then the work that God wants to do in you will not happen. It will not happen. The endurance will not be built, and the pain will be wasted. It'll be wasted. And so then God will have to repeat and repeat and repeat. Now, some of you need to understand the reason that you have difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty on every front in your life, whether it's work or relationships or finances or whatever, is because your perspective is off and the pain and the difficulty is being wasted. You're not allowing it to build endurance. You're staying in the same spot. Instead of getting better, you're getting bitter. You with me? I see some heads nodding. And maybe for the first time, you just understood why your, your life is so hard. It's because you're not learning the lessons of the difficulty. The difficulty is there to produce maturity and endurance inside of you. And when you moan and groan and complain and whine and your thoughts are off, the work that God wants to do in you is not done. This is so important for you to understand. So I'm gonna leave you with a thought that's gonna help you to get to accomplish this and to turn this, basically we're trying to turn a corner here. We're trying to mature. We're trying to grow up. My job as your pastor is to to help you grow and mature, right? And then you pass this on to others and the body of the whole body of Christ is edified. Let me give you a thought that I think is both memorable and portable. That means you can memorize it, take it with you. And tomorrow at work at two o'clock, you could, you could start saying it to yourself when difficulty hits. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, same thing. Thursday, Friday, same thing. And all of a sudden, you can actually shift your whole mindset to be in alignment with God's. Here's the thought, ready? When something is happening to me, God is at work in me. All it is is a paraphrase of James 1, 2 through 4. It's all it is. If you look at James 2, 1, 2 through 4, you'll see it. It's a paraphrase. When God, when something is happening to me, God is at work in me. When something is going wrong at work, God's at work in me. When something is going wrong in the marriage, when the spouse is doing this or that, God is at work in me. When the kids are not behaving and they're rebelling and they're whatever, being disobedient, God is at work in me. God, when something is happening to me, God is at work in me. Can we say that together? Because I think it's so powerful. Let's do it together as a family. When something is happening to me, God is at work in me. 
in me. Can we do a little bit better? When something is happening to me, God is at work in me. You, here's what, I just want you to run an experiment this week because that's what I do with my life. I just run a bunch of spiritual experiments to see if I can mature and grow. This week, will you just repeat that to yourself four, five, ten times a day and, see what, and just see what happens. Just see if you, you can look through the lens of difficulty with a different perspective. Remember, because it was Peter's perspective that caused him to be a hindrance to Jesus going to the cross. I don't want to be that hindrance. Do you? Yes or no? I don't want to, nobody wants to be a hindrance to the work that God wants to do in us and through us. So let's get our mindset, let's get our mind and heart aligned with his so that he can do the work that he wants to do in us and through us. I think that's powerful. Not because I'm saying it. It's just true. It's changed my life. We all go through difficult times and there's a period in our life, there's a, there's a time period where we're allowed to, you know, maybe get down a couple hours, maybe a day, maybe even two, depending on the difficulty. But then we got to pull out of that. We got to pull out of that and, 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 and come out and say, okay, God, I'm with you. I see what you're doing. You're, you're working in me. You're building endurance in me. You're changing me on the inside through this difficulty. And I just gave you something that it's going to allow you to pull out of that funk or maybe not even get it in in the first place, get in that funk in the first place. When something's happening to me, God is at work in me. Now, let me wrap this up by talking about the endurance of Jesus Christ. Did you know the Bible says that he endured the cross? He didn't give up. Do you think it was easy for him to go to the cross? To be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be stripped, to be whipped with a cat of nine tails, which was basically a whip with little stones and pieces of glass on the tip that every time you got whipped with it, it would tear a piece of flesh off of you. Somebody, some of you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Very accurate. He needed endurance to go all the way to the cross and have those nails put through his hands and through his feet. Do you agree with this? Yes or no? He didn't give up. He went all the way and persevered. Why? so that you could experience the forgiveness of sins, so that you could experience reconciliation with God, so that you could know the Father personally and become his child. That's why he did it. And there's some of you here today, you, you don't have that relationship. You've heard about this, you've put it off. You, maybe you were here last week or the week before or five weeks ago, and you said, no. I'm telling you, maybe today is the day. I would say it is the day that you need to say, okay, Jesus, I believe you endured the cross and you did it because you love me. And you did it so that I could have life, eternal life and abundant life right now. And the way you put your faith in Christ is you just come to him and you say, Jesus, I trust you. I, I put my confidence in you. I believe you did it. And I'm coming to you right now because I need life. I need, I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need, I need you. And you just simply pour your heart out to him in a prayer. So if you'd like to do that right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can take my words and make my words your words. Talk to God. And right now you can become a child of God. You can receive eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray? Dear Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross, for going all the way, taking the mocking the ridicule, the whipping, the nails for me. I come to you today in need of forgiveness, in need of grace. 
put my trust in you. It's, it's just a little bit. All I have is a little bit. But the little bit I have, I give to you. Make me your child today. Wash me of my sin. Cleanse me. And help me to, in the future, measure up to the full and complete standard of who you are. Fill my life with your joy, your peace, your strength, your grace. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Man, if you just prayed that prayer, here's what our church would like to do. We would like to put a one-year New Testament in your hands. And it's really just one reason. It's what I've been saying in this entire talk. Because as you read the word of God, what happens is your mind gets aligned with the mind of God. And God is able to do the work in you that he wants to do and the work through you that he wants to do. But you've got to take up his word and you've got to read it. So there's tables back here to my right and to my left. Can we give God a hand for what he's done today? Come on, church, raise it up. Let's give Jesus a hand. Woo! Let me, let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Jesus, we are here because you endured the cross. We are here because you did not stop. We are here because you kept going. When you were out of strength, when you were out of energy, when, you, when the blood was flowing from your brow and from your hands and from your back and from your feet and from every part of your body, you, you stayed faithful and you finished the course. And we're here because of your endurance. And we thank you for those who put their confidence in you today, their trust in you today. Jesus, help us to align our minds and our hearts with you so that you can build the character that you want to build in us, so that we can truly measure up to the full and complete standard of who you are. God, have your way in our hearts. Father, help us to be generous people so that as, your, as the generosity of your people increases, we will be able to expand this ministry beyond what it is now. Lead us, guide us. We pray this in your name and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, it is an honor and privilege to be your pastor. I love this. It is a great joy of my life. Next week is part two of Hindrance. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's, uh, let's fill these seats. We'll see you next week. <laughs>